millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When it comes to phone calls, they are generally easy to track. In an age of cell phones, we take for granted caller ID, and we know that phone companies keep records of who calls whom and when. Yet, with the mysteries that we will discover in this series, there are phone calls that are immensely puzzling or sometimes terrifying. This week, I'm Mysteriously Listed. Number 12. Brandon Lawson. On August 9th, 2013, 26-year-old Brendan Lawson went missing from his car on Highway 277 near Bronte, Texas. After getting into an argument with his girlfriend, Brendan left his home just before midnight before calling his brother a short while later to report that he had run out of gas. When his brother arrived at the stated location, Brandon was no longer in his car. The vehicle had no damage and his phone and keys were gone. In addition to calling his brother, Brandon had also contacted 911. In the mysterious and unclear phone call, Brandon breathlessly and fearfully asked the dispatcher to please hurry and seemed to utter the words, we're not talking to them. From this exchange, it is pretty safe to say that Brandon was with someone else. What is clear, however, is that he sounds very desperate and incredibly scared. 9, 2013, 0, 50 and 38 seconds. 911 emergency. Yeah, I'm in the middle of the field. The state we're just pushing guys over. Right here going towards gasoline on both sides. My truck ran out of gas. There's one car here. I got to the woods. Please hurry. Okay, now run that by me. I'm no, not talking to him. Hi, so you ran into him. Ah, you ran into him. Okay. That's the first guy. Do you need an ambulance? Yeah. No, I need the cops. Okay. Is anybody hurt? Hello? 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 Although Brandon's 911 phone call is very hard to understand, repeat listens seem to imply that some unidentified people were trying to take him into the woods, though this speculation cannot be confirmed. After arriving at the abandoned vehicle, Brandon's brother and his girlfriend decided to give him a call and was told by Brandon that he was 10 minutes up the road and mentioned that he was bleeding. 
This was the last time they ever heard from him. Brendan's family and friends are unable to guess what happened that night, and all speculation has been fruitless. The 29-year-old has four children and a girlfriend, and no apparent motive to run away. No trace of Brendan Lawson has ever been found. Number 11. Julia Wallace On January 19, 1931, 52-year-old insurance agent William Herbert Wallace went to the Liverpool Chess Club for one of his regular meetings. Shortly before William showed up, someone had called the club and left a message for him. The caller said that his name was R.M. Quattro and he wanted William to come to 25 Men Love Garden East the next night at 7.30 because Quattro wanted to set up an policy for his daughter. William asked the other men at the club if they had ever heard of the caller or if they knew where Men Love Garden East was, but no one had ever heard of R.M. Quattro or the street before. And they all just assumed it was off Men Love Avenue. The next night, William took several streetcars to get to his appointment, and the drivers on each streetcar remember him because he pestered them to drop him off at the right place, and he kept asking for directions to Men Love Garden East. After arriving at Men Love Avenue, William looked for the address and he asked for directions from several people before giving up and taking a streetcar back home. At 8.45pm, William was seen by his neighbours looking confused outside his house. Some neighbours asked him if there was a problem and he said he couldn't get into his house. He tried the back door again and he managed to open the door. Then a few minutes later, William walked back out again and he told these neighbours to come and see. She has been killed. Inside the house, his 70-year-old wife, Julia Wallace, was dead. Her head was beaten in so badly that her brains were exposed. This prompted William to say... They finished her. Look at her brains. The police were called in and William was arrested for the murder. William Wallace was ultimately convicted for the murder of his wife and was sentenced to hang. However, there were several problems with the case. First, the person who took the message at the chess club was certain that the voice of the caller did not belong to William. Second, the crime scene was incredibly bloody. Blood was splattered everywhere when Julia was bashed 11 times with a slender blunt instrument. Yet William, who was a frail 52-year-old, did not have a speck of blood on him. Thirdly, a delivery boy spoke to Julia Wallace after William had left. William's lawyers appealed the conviction, and the Court of Criminal Appeal decided to quash the conviction, citing a lack of evidence, and he was freed. 
Unfortunately, while William was innocent in the eyes of the law, many of his friends and colleagues thought he was guilty and he was pretty much shunned. William Wallace ended up dying on February 26, 1933 from complications from a lifelong kidney problem and he was buried next to his wife, Julia. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Number 10. Belraj Ratu. On November 6, 1995, six weeks before his 20th birthday, Belraj Ratu lived in Surrey, British Columbia. He asked his dad if he could take his car to go see some friends. Around 7pm that evening, a taxi driver saw the teenager drinking in a car with another man. This was the last time he would ever be seen. Two days later, he was reported missing. A young woman phoned the family home around 1am. Belraj's father answered the phone, but the woman on the other end thought she was talking to the 19-year-old. She said, Raj, Raj, you were beaten up. She began laughing and then hung up. The following day, around the same time, another caller phoned the Ratu's family home. But this time, the voice was believed to be from an older woman. The woman spoke in Pujami and told the father that their son was dead. Then a day later, the family silver Hyundai Stella was found burnt in the Chilliwack area. The car had been driven off the embankment. Inside, the police discovered Belraj's jacket, his grey sweatshirt and jeans, but there was no sign of the man. All three pieces of clothing had been rolled up on the front passenger floor. The sweatshirt was partially burnt and a $20 bill had been tucked inside. After a thorough search of the car, they were only able to find Belraj's fingerprints. This baffled authorities because every car handle had been wiped clean. They believed that the assailant had carefully planned the crime. Belraj's friends later reported that they didn't meet up with him on the day he disappeared, which raised alarms as to who he was drinking with in the car. Police believe that it's very likely that this man is the main suspect in the case. One theory suggested that Belraj was being held captive in a house, then the suspect drove his car off the embankment to confuse the investigation. 
The authorities were also unable to trace the two phone calls the family received, since the technology at the time was not very advanced. It is still uncertain whether the two calls were from two different people or just one person posing to be another. Regardless, their identities are still unknown and Balraj's disappearance remains unsolved. Number 9. Tracy Kirkpatrick Tracy Kirkpatrick was known by her peers to be a shy girl and loved to express herself through poetry. She was also very hardworking and smart. By the age of 17, she was working two retail jobs to save money for law school. She bought her first car with her own money. One of her jobs was at Aileen Ladies Sportswear in Frederick, Maryland. And on March 15, 1989, she was working the closing shift. At 8pm, Tracy's manager left for the evening, leaving Tracy to close the store. No sales were recorded for around this time. Aileen Ladies Sportswear normally closed at 9pm. The security guard noticed the lights on shortly after this time. He returned at around 10.30pm to see that the lights hadn't been turned off. He entered through the unlocked front door and found Tracy's body in the back storage room. She had stab wounds to her chest and back. At almost the exact same time that the security guard was calling the police, Tracy's parents were already on their way to the mall. They were worried that her car had broken down because she was supposed to be home an hour prior. They arrived to find the police at the scene and were told that their daughter had been murdered. The police could not discern a motive. The money was still in the register, untouched. Tracy had not been sexually assaulted. Investigators did not see sign of a struggle, and from that they determined that she must have known her killer. Yet they were truly baffled. They had no leads, and the case went cold. Three months after Tracy's murder... An unidentified man contacted the National Confession Hotline with this chilling disclosure. Hello, my name is Don, and I'm calling from Frederick, Maryland. I know this is going to sound surprising, but three months ago, I stabbed a girl to death. And you might think that in making this tape, I'm setting myself up to be caught. But there are a lot of guys named Don in Frederick. The girl I killed was working in a lady sportswear store. I often came by and talked to her when she was working alone. And one night when she was in the storeroom and we were talking, our conversation turned into an argument. And so I took out a knife that I have with me at all times and I killed her. And a few days later, I realized that I had created a lot of sadness. 
The hotline sent this recording to the Frederick Police and the call was traced back to Walkersville, which is another town in Frederick County and about eight miles away from where Tracy was murdered. Two weeks later, a woman claiming to be a psychic called the Frederick Police, tipping them off on a man calling himself Sean, who was acting strangely about the case sending her newspaper clippings and asking her about Tracy in an obsessive way. They traced Sean back to a young man in Walkersville, the same town where the phone call was made. Now, this man's name was not Sean, but three people had identified him as the voice that matched the confession. He was never arrested, and though police searched his home and questioned him, they could not find any evidence that he was at the crime scene that night or committed the crime. Apparently, he has since been cleared. The police have had two viable suspects over the years, but no one has been charged with the murder of Tracy Kirkpatrick. Number 8. The Crew of Casey Nicole On April 11, 1990, Nathan Nee Smith, his brother Billy Joe Nee Smith, his nephew Keith Wilkes and his friend Franklin Brahmi set off from McIntosh County Pier in Georgia to go on a seven-day commercial fishing expedition. Their ship was named Casey Nicole and had previously spent over one month in dry dock for maintenance. At 4.30am on the second day of the trip, Nathan noticed that the boat was acting sluggish and riding deep. He and Billy noticed it had picked up a foot of water in the hold To make things worse, the pumps weren't working and the power was out, making the radio useless. The boat kept sinking, so the men eventually boarded the life raft. In hopes of finding some help, Nathan decided to leave the other three men in the raft. He went on a ride on a bait box that came loose from the boat. The next morning, he noticed a freighter in the area where he thought his crew members would have been located. The freighter acted oddly, though, travelling in circles, and it appeared to stop several times. Five days later, Nathan was rescued by the Coast Guard, but the rest of the men were never found. The only things ever found in the surrounding waters were a sleeping bag and a life vest. One probable conclusion was that the three men drowned at sea, and this is very possible. I guess while you are wondering how this case fits in this episode, and not a Lost Boats episode, 
Well, following this, there were strange phone calls from a man who didn't speak English. This started about six weeks after the disappearance and continued over the next year. Four were made to Nathan's sister and the other three were made to a man named Doug Tyson, who was the owner of the Casey Nicole. The first six calls came from a man who appeared to only speak Spanish. He stated the name and the number of the person he was calling. He then quickly hung up. The last call they received came from the same man, but this time he said, I'm bringing them home. The family believed that this man was referring to the three missing men. They hold out hope that they are alive somewhere, but the government has declared them missing at sea and presumed dead. One theory suggested that the freighter may have picked up the three men and could have been potentially involved in some illegal maritime activity. And the Spanish words of the mysterious caller suggest that the men may have been taken to Cuba. Despite a large-scale search by the US Coast Guard, no trace of the crewmates have ever been found. Number 7. Georgia Cruz On April 8, 1980, 12-year-old Georgia Cruz and her older brother were left at home in a small town in Florida for the evening while her parents were out. Around 5.30pm, Georgia walked barefoot out of her family's home, but where she was intending on going is unknown. It is thought that she was either going to the convenience store to buy some snacks or her best friend's house who lived on the same street as the crew's family. Wherever she was going, she didn't make it. Her parents reported her missing and a search party was immediately organised to search for her, but she was nowhere to be found. Two days after she went missing, the sheriff's office received a call regarding Georgia. The caller said, Hello, yeah, you know that girl you are looking for? Yeah, the 12-year-old, yeah, she's dead. Similar calls were reported at Georgia's grandmother and the wife of the town marshal. Five days later, the caller was proven right. Georgia was found dead in a sparsely wooded spot in a park around 25 miles away from where she lived. The cause of death was a single stab wound to the back. One possible odd clue was found on Georgia's body. Georgia normally wore a necklace that consisted of a delicate chain and a gold pendant. However, when she was found, she was wearing a necklace that had a cross made from two pieces of silver-coloured metal that were welded together. There were also small holes drilled into the metal. The cross was attached to a thick silver chain and looked homemade. The family said they had never seen the necklace before and they had no idea where it came from. 
The case has since gone cold and has created a sense of uneasiness in the small town due to the speculation that the killer was local. On the night that Georgia went missing, no one remembered seeing a strange or unfamiliar car in the area. Georgia may have also been more likely to get into a vehicle of someone she knew. The police believe the caller could have been the killer, and they agree with the speculation that has spread across the town that the killer was someone who lived locally. This is because he knew who the police marshal was. He was able to call his house where his wife answered the phone. He also called George's grandmother as opposed to calling her parents. This indicates he knew intimate details about the town and George's family. Unfortunately, none of the calls were ever traced. The call to the sheriff's office was recorded, but sadly the recording has been lost over the years. Without the recording, the police are hoping that someone will recognise the cross and contact them. The police are hopeful that Georgia Cruz's murder will be solved. However, at the time of this recording, the case has gone cold. What would you like to see next Mysteriously Listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. If you like what you heard today, we would love your support by sharing on your social media of choice. You can also help the show if you could rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Audio production, research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.